Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody this morning. This is our Communion Sunday. And our Communion Sunday is a very uh, intimate time of fellowship with each other and with the Lord. The elements that are presented here were presented on a Passover evening. So we are, we, as we come in and celebrate a time of communion, we are actually the closest to being a part of the Jewishness, if I can say that, of our roots that are in Christ. Because on that night, Paul said that, that which I received from the Lord, that which I give to you. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. So our first element here that we're going to take is the bread. And the bread is symbolic of his body. This is my body, he said to them. So as the elders and the deacons are here, we're going to, we're going to take these out. Everyone will take uh, an element here the, of the bread and hold on to it until we're all ready to take par- uh, partake together. This was a special time when Jesus, he, he said, he says, I desired to take this, to be there, to be in that time of fellowship. When he was on his way to Jerusalem, he said, I must go to Jerusalem. He had set his eyes like flint, it says, that he was set on going to Jerusalem. He knew what was ahead of him. And so this night, as he was celebrating there with his, with his disciples, it was, a, it was a time that Jesus was knowing that within the next 24 hours, that this body of his was going to be broken, was going to be taken and basically mutilated, as Isaiah said, that he was, he was beat past the point of recognition as even being human. He was marred more than any man. We can't even imagine that. I mean, I know we've probably all seen the movie The Passion. That movie doesn't even come close to what happened to him that night. But see, he went to the cross. He was on his way to the cross, and he was in the garden after he had this time of communion and he was praying and the Lord sent angels to help him, to sustain him, to get to the cross. His focus was the cross. And so as he was there with that evening with his disciples, we are connecting in a very, very uh, special way, a very spiritual way with the brokenness of his body. And Jesus took the bread, and then as he took the bread, he broke it. Symbolic of what was going to be taking and happening to him within the next 24 hours. And he would take the bread, and he would lift it up as an offering before the Lord, and he would bless God, the king of the universe. Lord, we do that. We follow you, Lord. As we remember that night, the night you were betrayed, that you took the bread and you broke it, we remember that night, in a special time for us to identify with you. Lord, apart from brokenness, Lord, we're a danger. And yet you set the example of brokenness by taking your life and laying it down. So, Lord, we take this in remembrance of what you did that night. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all partake together. Also on that night, he would take the cup. And a part of the, the Passover, there were different 
cups are part of the Passover. But this is the one cup that was held back, that Jesus held back. This is the cup that I desire. I desire to drink it and drink it all. When we think about this, this is symbolic of the blood of Christ. And that he knew that every, every ounce, every part of him, because Leviticus says this about the blood, the life is in the blood and I have given it to you as an atonement upon the altar. Jesus came and he became that, that sacrifice. He became the blood offering required by God for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no way in. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the only way in. And the only way in was by this cup that he would have them take and partake in that night. So you're, you're experiencing very similar of an evening of a Passover. And maybe in one of these uh, uh, times coming up, as Passover comes up, and we get a lot of the dust that's settled here, we can do a Seder. And I would love to do a Seder for us here because we've done that with our Messianic friends back in California and I would love to partake and have us enjoy that same symbolism as you come into a Seder, all you're going to do is see Jesus. All you're going to do is see the sacrifice of the great God of heaven that he was willing to take his life and offer it for us as a ransom for many who were bought with a price. Our life is no longer our own. It belongs to him. So as we hold these cups, just reflect that evening when Jesus was with his disciples. Because if you are born again and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, this blood is very symbolic and very powerful. Nothing but the blood we sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood. You know, our God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps covenants. A covenant basically is a contract. It's an agreement. It's a signature in saying that we are bound together. And in this, as we look at this cup, and as Jesus took it that night, he would take it and give it to his disciples. And they say, he would say to them, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. Now, we think about the covenant of God, and the first covenant of God was written in stone. The life is in the blood. The first covenant was written in lifeless stone and a requirement that you do it, you do it, you do it, and they failed to do it. We failed to do it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection and holiness. And we have failed. And it's the blood of Christ. It's the new covenant. This is what's so precious about this. This is the new covenant. He's written this new covenant in his blood. Not on the stone. But in the blood. So in that night. As he took that cup. He would lift it up as he would be within the next 24 hours, be lifted up and begin to pour out his blood for our sins. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant. We bless you for the life that's in the blood. 
Lord, your spirit, Lord, is a part of what you speak. Your words are spirit and they are life. And we ask that, Lord, that we, as we partake of this, Lord, that we would see and sense the life that's in the blood. Even though this is just symbolism, Lord, that we would connect even deeper now in our walk and our relationship. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just, just come and unite us in the fire of your presence as we partake of this and identify with our great God and Savior. And as often as we drink this, we do proclaim your death till we come, until you come. Lord, we know that you are coming soon. And so we say, yes, you died, but you rose. So we take this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all share. All right. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. Celebration, man. This is a celebration time of, of great God and Savior Jesus who, he, you know, he rose. He is our hero, you know. I was sitting there going, he's my hero. He's my hero. And he rose and he forever uh, sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And praise God he does because <laughs> we sure need it. Okay, we're in First Peter and we'll be picking up in chapter 2 at verse 9. So if you would open up your Bibles there. Lord, I thank you for your word to us. Lord, it is spirit and life. Lord, you've taken and breathed into your servants, Lord, and they wrote these down as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And so we received to hear, Lord, from you. Thank you, God, for this word. We ask that you would bless it now to our hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you remember Peter. As Peter was wrote this letter, he wrote this letter to a church of believers uh, to encourage them that God loved them, that he hadn't forsaken them because they were on the run. You remember in the first chapter is that how they were running because Nero was out there just butchering the church, killing them left and right. And he, wants to, he wanted to remind them of the mysteries of Christ and how even the prophets wanted to dig into the scriptures to find out the things concerning the Messiah. Because they, they, they didn't really see it all. They didn't understand it. And even, even the angels, they, they wanted to look into the things of the Messiah and how we would come and be a part of it. And we finished there in chapter 1, describing how the grass fades and how man fades, but God's word endures forever. See, God sent his son to become one of us. And he left his word with us. And it seems that, well, he faded. No, he didn't fade. Because his word stands forever and he is there seated at the right hand of the Father. Last week we learned that we're, we're to be like new babes, new, newborn babes, drinking in the word of God. Taking in and making sure that that's a deep part of our lives. But we also saw how unbelief caused Israel to stumble. We saw how Israel, uh, because of their, their unbelief, they began to fall and they began to falter. And so God sent the prophets. He sent them to, to, to illuminate and reveal Christ to them. And finally, he sent his son. In the parable of the vineyard is that the, the vineyard keepers were there. And he had sent these men to, to, to watch over and take care of his vineyard. Well, they said, well, let's take this guy. And they killed him. And they killed him. And finally, they said, well, let, we'll, we'll just, God says, we'll just send our son, the, the vineyard owner, said, I'll just send my son. They'll honor him. And they killed him also. 
So the thing is, is that about this is that Israel stumbled because of unbelief in Hebrews, it says. They stumbled because of unbelief. Uh, Israel knew that God was the way, but God knew that they would stumble over his son. And so uh, the prophets, they declared the way. Israel, as a, as a chosen people, as we're going to look here, Israel was set apart. They were set apart with a mission. They were set apart as his chosen people, but because of their unbelief, they failed to enter in to the promise. You remember the promised land going in? They failed in. And that was the beginning of all of their downfall all the way throughout their history is unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. And so Peter picks up on this, but yet he is going to change the subject. And we see in the first words here in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you, now that's a subject change. The identification of who he was speaking to or speaking about is changed. It's speaking of someone new. He says, but you, special change, subject change, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now we know from the previous chapters that there was a, a uh, conglomeration of both Jew and Gentile in this people that were, that were fleeing for their lives. And so when he's speaking here, he's speaking to the church. And in just in a few minutes, he's going to talk about, you know, being honorable among the Gentiles. But the Gentiles, basically, in there, an idea is, the, is among unbelievers. Okay, so he's talking about believers here. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whether Jew or Gentile, if you've been called out of the darkness to walk in his light, then that's who he's talking to. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Uh, when he says sojourners and pilgrims, just make a note here that he's talking about being in this world, okay? Sojourners. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they, have, they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Back to Israel. Now Israel may have stumbled, but... For those who believe, he's saying here, they are now a chosen generation. They are now a royal priesthood. They are now a holy nation. His own special people who are called to proclaim his praises. That's us. That's our, that's our commission by God, to go out and sing his praises, call on, call on the Lord, and, and just exalt God in wherever you are and wherever you, wherever you go. Now, Peter, as Peter's quoting here, he's actually using uh, many of the words that are in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, and in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, in this, that they are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, his own special people. You know, he's using a lot of these words that Moses used there. But something happened. Something happened along the line. When Israel rejected their Messiah. God took Israel and set them aside for a moment, as it were. And began to focus on another people for himself, and that's the church. 
See, we become joint heirs with Israel through Christ. Let's say that again. We become joint heirs with Israel through Christ. We don't replace Israel. We join them. Isn't that awesome? We join them. Colossians talks about the wall that separates the two of us. That's down now. There's one. Only one. And that's the church. Jew and Gentile. Jew comes in the same way that Gentile comes in the way through the cross, through the blood of Christ. That's how the Jews, that's how the Gentiles come in. By the way, I'm no longer a Gentile. I'm grafted in. And I'm part of the family. And so are you if you know Jesus as your Savior. In the parable of the vineyard, they rejected the heir. And so it was given to another. God, he keeps his covenants. God's covenant with Israel still stands. I'm going to tell you that. It still stands. It's in place. But for the moment, he's put that aside. I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. The Abrahamic covenant is in place. It has never it has never been diminished. He just took Israel and he's put them aside for the moment. And he's focused his blessing on the church. Because he says here, we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. Holy nation, his own special people, that's who we are. Israel was called to proclaim the excellencies of God and to be a light to the Gentiles. That was their commission. But instead, they exalted themselves. They turned from God. They began to trust in themselves. And they failed to bring light to the Gentiles. And Paul warns the church of the same dilemma of being put on the shelf. He warns us in Romans chapter 11, verse 21 and to 24. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the, the Israel, the Hebrews, if he did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, the Jews, severity on them, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also... If they do not continue in unbelief, remember, that's why they were set apart. In Hebrews, it said that they failed to enter in because of unbelief. If they come back and they believe, then he's able. He says he will graft, be grafted in. Amen. There they are. So they come in the same way that we come in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is a wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. That means the covenant-keeping people uh, that God has made a covenant with. How much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, they come home. They come home in faith and put their faith back where it should be. In other words, if we fail to proclaim and to walk in the, the, the direction or the proclamations of God that he's given to us through his son to be a light to the world, Paul's warning is that we could end up like Israel. 
You could be put aside and someone else takes your place. You cause a little one to stumble. You cause somebody to stumble. You can be taken out and somebody else will take your place. Proclaiming the gospel and being in the light is our responsibility. Let me say that again. Proclaiming the gospel and being a light is the church's responsibility. It's our responsibility. It isn't just here on Sundays where we meet. It's every day. It's when we're out there and we're speaking and we're in the world. We're to be a light to the world. We're to be the ones, if somebody needs to know something about God, it's great that you can be a light to that moment, to that person. You know, I love, I love the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love what he does in those moments. Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Oh, you know what I'm talking about when you start sharing with somebody and it's like the life of God begins to flow out of your mouth. Isn't that glorious? I love it. I love it. Being a light, that's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. A light, you think about a light. Turn off the lights here, it's dark. You turn on the lights and it dispels darkness. You see the picture here? You are the light that dispels the darkness. The world right now is getting darker and darker and darker. You know, it's really, you ever been in one of those caves? You know, one of those caves where there's no light at all? And then somebody all wants, we had this one tour of this one place back uh, west. We went into this, one of the caverns, whatever. It was so dark. I mean, you couldn't see your face. And then what somebody did is they just took a little tiny like pin light and it like lit the whole place up. Just one little light. You, in the midst of darkness, your little bit of light will light the place up. Whatever you've learned here, you share in the darkness. What you learn in the light, share in the darkness when it comes. Jesus said to us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Proclaiming the gospel is our privilege and it's our responsibility. So he pleads with us to consider ourselves sojourners and pilgrims. And what he's speaking of while we're in this place, while we're living here, we're con to consider ourselves pilgrims and sojourners. Whenever you visit a foreign country, you become a sojourner. It's not your home. It's not your home. I'm going to tell you, this is not our home. This is not our final place. We have heaven in store for us. Heaven is ahead of us. This is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. And while we're here, we're going to pick up a few passengers on the way, as it were. We're going to pick up a few. You know, it's not the wood, hay, and stubble that go in, Paul says to the Corinthians. It's not the wood, hay, and stubble. But it's the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels that will go in. The gold in, in symbolism represents God, deity, those things of God. Those are the things that we will take in or we will share with people and they will come in. The silver represents atonement, redemption, the gold, the silver. So whatever you do and you share the gospel for salvation's sake and you lead somebody to Christ, guess what? 
you're picking up a passenger along the way. And then the precious jewels. The priests had this thing on their chest that they wore. It's called the ephod. Now, in the ephod, there were 12 stones which represented each tribe of Israel. And they were to wear it over their heart so that their heart would be close to God and that they would be the one bringing them close to God. And so they're close to their heart. Gold, silver, precious jewels. Those are the passengers we're going to pick up along the way. So we need to be about the Lord's business and picking up, picking them up. Right, George? <laughs> Praise God. But I want you to notice something here. We're not to let our flesh get in the way. We're, this is our temporary home, and we're not to let our flesh get in We're not to lust after the things of the world, as Peter says there. I want you to notice that the war that's waging for our soul, that is our flesh. Our flesh is contrary to the things of the Spirit. The flesh wants to war over us. It wants to, to take control of us. And to give, a, give in to the flesh will rob us of our peace, our joy, and our testimony. The Greek word that's used for war here is strataumi. We get our word strategy from it. And that's something. The waging of the war, war, the strategy of the flesh is to gain control of our soul. The fallen nature wants to grab a hold and grab us and pull us down to where we begin to yield to it all the time. We got a good example of what God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, remember they were making an offering and Abel had made his offering, and, there, and so there was jealousy going on here because one was bringing the proper offering and the other one was not bringing the proper offering, and that was Cain. And so God says, if you do well, in other words, if, if you bring the right offering, everything is going to be okay. You come in the right way, it's going to be okay. You will do well. Will you not be accepted, God says? And if you do not do well, in other words, you don't do it, Listen to this. Sin lies at the door. The monster is knocking at the door. It wants in. It wants mastery over our soul. And its desire is for you. You see that there? But you shall rule over it. You know, when sin and the world come knocking at the door and challenge us to give in to its demands. This is where we stand. This is where we stand first in our commitment and to our relationship with Christ and stand our ground. In Genesis chapter 19, you remember the story of Lot and the angels and how the angels came into his house and how those that were outside the house were beating on the door, trying and wanting to get them to come out and demanding that they come out. Resisting the world and sin may take everything you've got for the moment. May take everything you've got for the moment. But we know that as James 4 said that we're to submit ourselves to God, first of all, there's our authority, there's our strength, there's our place. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, do whatever you need to do. If the enemy starts coming in, something comes in, you're, you're listening to a song and it goes in the wrong direction, 
turn it off. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out. If your ear offends thee, pluck it off. If your hand offends thee, it's better to end in without all that stuff. If it's there and it's challenged us to give in to its demands, we're to stand our ground, resisting. And the promise is that he will flee. When we turn to God, you know, when the Satan sees God enter the picture, he cuts, a, he cuts a trail. He gets out. Especially if he sees a believer submitting to God and saying, God, I call on you. Not that we go, I rebuke you, devil. Don't ever do that. You get behind God. Let God do the rebuking. Let the Lord, the Lord rebuke you. Let him be your defense. Let him be your strength. Let him be your authority. Submitting to God and letting him stand there. And then when you resist, you're resisting by your going to God. Well, the enemy's over there watching and going, man, I don't want to deal with this. And he cuts a trail and he gets away. So if you're in the middle of a trial or a temptation, first of all, submit to God, resist, and things will change. And the angels there at Lot's house, they rescued him, remember? He rest, they rescued him. Ephesians. Now, you've all been in here, and I think most of you are all fairly mature and growing in your faith. But for those that haven't, haven't gone into uh, the armor of God, I'm going to just share with you in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, talking about a battle, talking about this uh, submitting and resisting. Therefore, you got to have the armor on if you're going to do battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Be set apart. Be set apart. Make sure that you look at yourself. Am I set apart? Be set apart that you may be able to withstand the devil or the evil in that day. Be set apart and have done all to stand. Stand, therefore, be set apart. Having gird your waist with truth, be set apart. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, be set apart. And having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, be set apart. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, be set apart Israel was set apart we the church are set apart the challenge is what do we do with that in that day when everything comes to light as Peter is relating to us in verse 12 all those who may have ridiculed our lives in Christ will be giving praise and honor to God now I just ask the question why why will they be the one well because see when they were hurting they didn't deserve our help. We showed them mercy. We showed them grace. We showed them kindness. We, we, we relieved their pressure. Now, if we act like the world and we treat them like the world, why should they want to come to Christ? Why should they want to be surrendered if we, are, if we treat them with, you know, ah, well, you're just getting what you deserve. No. If we got that, we'd be going to hell. We all deserve that, but he's, he's given us heaven. But see, if we lay down our lives for them and bless them, it brings glory to God and it can actually change their heart and win them to Christ. Now, the world has its eyes on us. It's watching you and me. They're looking at our conduct, the way we live. It'll only bring glory to God or bring dishonor to God. How are we doing that? 
So Peter, he, he, he takes this whole relationship of our conduct and then now how should we respond to those in authority that are over us? Because sometimes the authority over us, not so good. And so he says, therefore, in other words, looking back at being a sojourner, that you're abstaining from fleshly lust, being a sojourner, submit yourselves to every ordinance. In other words, keep the focus of where you are and who you are. This is not your home. So we're submitting here, and this can either win them or it can lose them, even those in government. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. The way we live matters. It matters in the respect of those who look at us from outside. Well, what are they doing? They say that they're a Christian. You know, if that's, have you ever heard somebody say, well, if that, that's being a Christian, you can have it, you know. But then there are those, because of the goodness of the mercy and the love and the kindness of believers, they go, you know, if that's what a Christian is, how, how do I become one? And that's how we win them. So, you know, the thing is, is that uh, it, there's, when you look at authority, the, it says to submit here to every ordinance. Uh, the word yield here, it means to be under another's authority. Uh, there are two ways we can submit ourselves here. We can submit our ways in that whatever they say, we'll do it no matter if it goes against the, uh, the, the will of God. Now, that one I'm going to tell you is wrong, you know. The other is to submit as long as they don't go against the will of God. Today we have proposals that if you speak against homosexuality or abortion, you can be charged with a hate crime. You can go to jail. You can be punished for it. So what do we do? Do we quit complain or complaining? Yeah, that's a good one too. Quit complaining. <laughs> do we quit speaking the truth of God's word? Or, or do we continue to speak the word? That's a no-brainer. We continue to speak the truth of God's word in love. See, we can refuse and still be in submission. I'm going to say that again. We can still refuse and still be in submission. In submission to the authority, into those ordinances. But what it means is that if we do, we may have to accept whatever the penalty they pass out for refusing. A good example is in Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 21. I know it's kind of lengthy, but I, I think it's a good point that we need to follow in here. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What a, what a witness. Be with Jesus. Wow. You, 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 you get a full education being with the Lord. Untrained, you get a full training with the Lord. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that they spread, so that it spreads no further among the people, 
let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at, or, at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. In other words, it's a no-brainer. We're going to listen to God. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. Can let me see. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had, so when they had further threatened them, they let they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. As believers were to be model citizens, as long as the law doesn't conflict with the will of God. Model citizens, as long as it doesn't conflict with the will of God. When the will of man violates the will of God, that's where we draw the line. I'll tell you. The will of man, uh, right now there's, there's some real twisted things that are trying to be um, forced on us, I think you could say. And one of them is the rejection of Israel. They're, they're trying to be a country that we, we as people are very supportive abortion those kind of things we we look at us to now and the only way that we can know the difference is to be in the word of god if we don't see these things and if the if believers aren't studying to show themselves approved a workman not uh, uh, ashamed rightly dividing the word of the truth if we're not in there and we're not dissecting this word we can be deceived we can be taken down the pike as it were So the authority that we have here, if it violates the will of God, that's where we draw the line. Basically, the law is there for our good. I'm not downing the law. I'm downing it, it, whatever it does that passes against the will of God. Those that are in authority are there, are supposed to be there for our good. But it doesn't always mean that the person that's in authority is going to be seeking after the will of God doesn't always mean that I want I want you to consider the time here uh, when uh, just because a Christian refused to call Nero Lord uh, he took them and dipped them in oil and lit them on fire to use as human torches there also he took thousands and fed them to the lions just because they refused he killed them and so we we're living in a place where okay if it comes to that what are you going to do are you going to be okay to be dipped in oil and torched they were living in some really heavy times every person in authority has the opportunity to use their authority either for good or for bad for right or for wrong and jesus said in john 19 that all authority has been given by god and that's we go well praise god yeah but the problem is is the responsibility of the authority and how that authority uses that authority how it's used is another thing. If government is done the right way, the people will be protected. If it's done the right way, they'll be protected from those who would like to take advantage of all of us. And this, this is a quote, and I can't remember where it was from, but the greatest failure of government is to reward the wrong person and condemn the right person. The greatest failure of government 
is to reward the wrong person and condemn the right person. Proverbs 29 says, verse 2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Paul said this to the, to the, um, cut it back up here. Paul said, I can't remember, okay. But he said that we're to be an epistle to be known and read by all men. The only gospel somebody may read will be you. You may be the only gospel that they can, can see of the truth of God's love and sacrifice them. So we're to live in such a way that they will know the love of God and what the gospel says. And he says here in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. By living out the truth of the gospel, our lives may be the only thing that will put to silence ignorant words. When you talk about the love of God and sacrifice, they see it, and what it will do is your life will bring conviction. Have you ever had your life, because the way you live, bring conviction? Just because you're in there, you're there, and somebody is convicted by the way you live. You don't even know it. But the Holy Spirit is there with you and he's witnessing by your actions and by your words of the presence of God. We're to be concerned about how we live our lives and how it affects others. But Paul said this and that some don't care. Well, if they don't, this is what we do. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me. You know what? Hey, I can use it as a vice. I can do this. I can use the liberty in Christ to just live any way I want. No, you can't. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We're not to use our liberty as a cloak for a vice, for wrong. You can be a Christian and you can live like the devil if you want to but it doesn't witness of the presence of Christ instead we're to be bond servants that's the under rower that's the one that's down below that doesn't um, those above they're up there rowing away the ones down below they don't even see you doing it bond servants in the Old Testament was uh, a slave and he has the liberty to go free but he, his master has been so good to him. What he does is and he says, I don't want to go out. I want to stay with you. You've been so kind and so loving to me. I want to stay with you. And so by choice, he says, I want to be your willing servant, bond servant, willing slave for my whole life and my family. So they would take the guy and they would bring him to the doorpost of the doorway. They would take an awl. And they would take this awl and they would take his lobe of his ear and they would pierce his ear and nail him to the doorpost. To me, I can't help but see Jesus willingly coming and giving his life and being nailed to the cross 
He came not to be served, but to serve. He is the prime example of a bronze servant. Someone who once was a slave is now a willing servant. That's us. Matthew 20, verse 26 says, Yet it shall not be among you, because they were trying to say, Oh, who's greatest, who's greatest? But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your doulos, let him be your servant. So however you choose to live your life, Peter says, honor all men. It's important that we honor everybody. You know, not everybody is willing to uh, hear about Jesus or accept Jesus. But if we honor them, it gives us an open door because Jesus came for us all. You know, you know, God is very selfish in that way. He wants, he wants everyone saved. He's not willing that any should perish. God is very selfish about souls. He wants all of us. He wants us all. And I love that. And that's the way we should look at each other. And also we're to love the brethren and, and especially the family of God and to fear God and honor the king. You know, this morning, if you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you, maybe you need to lay aside something. Maybe there's something that you felt like uh, there's been a compromise and I really just want to surrender. This could be your moment. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe there needs to be restoration. I just pray that the Holy Spirit, he's come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Convict us of sin. And it's good to repent from sin. And it's good to sit back and say, this far, no more. Yes, Lord, forgive me. It's good to acknowledge your sins. It's good that Jeremiah says, only acknowledge your sins. Conviction is, is a stinging um, tool of the Holy Spirit. Because it counters the flesh. It counters our pride. Our pride doesn't like to say, I'm wrong. Our flesh doesn't like it when we're put on the spot. But see, that's where we need to be willing to come and allow our, our lives to say, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. And let the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's come to convict us of sin and of righteousness. The righteousness is that God did it, and you don't have to do it. And you accept me, and I will make you right, apart from your efforts apart from what you can do, it's what I've done. And of judgment. When we look at the world and we look at our lives and we see, where did my judgment go? The moment I said yes to Jesus, where did my judgment go? Where did your judgment go? It went right to the cross. See, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we're looking back at the cross because they're all one in the cross. Salvation is by no other means except through the Son of God there at the cross. So just remember that the conviction comes, the challenge comes, and then the comfort comes when we respond.
just be glorified in in your church lord and your children this morning lord and i pray for the peace because of what you gave you gave us peace that passes understanding i pray for that i pray for the joy i pray lord god that you would strengthen those arms that are hanging down lord that you would strengthen the heart to be able to step into the fray of the battle and surrender and allow you to take command lord so we ask that, Lord, you take command of our hearts and our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. And be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. That's our desire, isn't it? That we'd allow the peace of God and the power of God to rule in our hearts and our lives. God bless you and bless each other with the, the blessing and the shalom of God. God bless you all.